Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. My next guest, Krista Mitchell, started off playing competitive sports, but after 18 years, she was looking for something a little bit different. She was tired of team sports and wanted to get into something solo. She ended up hitting the pavement and becoming a roadrunner. And in 2012, she went to Boston, such a huge accomplishment in the running world. But the pavement was becoming boring. And a little bit earlier that same year, Krista was picked up by a team to run in a leg in the death race. At that point, she didn't know anything about trail running, but had agreed to run leg four and went up, over, and down Mount Hamill in four hours and 39 minutes. She loved the change in scenery, and during the experience, she witnessed soloists complete the 100-kilometer race, inspiring her to become one of them. So the next year, she raced the death race solo and finished second in her age group and seventh overall for women. A few years later, the Triple Train Trail Trekkers was born, and what started out as a group of 10 to 15 people running together one night a week has turned into a group of 90 to 100. In 2017, Krista had a son, and just seven months later, she was out running the Golden Ultra Stage Race for three days, finishing third overall. And if you can even believe it, I haven't even highlighted all of her accomplishments. Krista has built a community that invites kids and families to get off the couch get into nature, and take care of their mind and body through movement. Krista, I cannot wait to dive into your story. Just reading the intro makes me want to get my butt outside and run, and I'm not even a runner. (laughs) So um, I'm so happy to have you here, and let's start here. So you did 18 years of competitive sports. Tell us all about that chapter. Well, thank you for having me, Candice. Um, this is awesome. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast. Uh, yes, so I spent 18 years as a competitive athlete, um, primarily in basketball and fastball. So I was part of the first all women's girls fastball team in Grand Prairie. And I played for the same team and the same coach. Um, I was 10 when I started and 22 when I finished. And um, yeah, so I played fastball primarily along with basketball. I enjoyed basketball through junior high and high school. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to play collegiate basketball when I graduated from high school. And that was kind of, I mean, growing up, I still did all the other things. I did the swimming, I did the skating. And it just wasn't things that stuck, but basketball and baseball or fastball really did stick. Uh, So I was always competitive and I was always like involved in sport. And so when I finished uh, university, I, I remember specifically the day and I had moved back home to Grand Prairie. I had taken a position at the college here, which, which was then Grand Prairie Regional College is now Northwestern Polytechnic. I'd taken a position and I'd gone outside for a run around the res and it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, I need to do a solo sport. I've spent my whole life involved in team sports. And when you get a little bit older and you get more competitive and on more competitive teams and in college, it's not just going to practice or going to a game. You spend a lot of time with your teammates day in and day out. There's film, there's team activities, there's study halls, there's all those things. And I was just ready to do something just for me, I think. And I went out for this run and I'm like, this is it. Like, I wanna I wanna start running. I wanna start, start doing just something for me. So that's kind of where it began for me for running. Wow. Okay. And so when you were 10 years old, getting into that fastball and being in it for so long with the same coach, like what did that do for you? Like thinking back to kids today, like what are some of the lessons or the wisdom or the, the, the teachings that came out of you being in that sport and carrying it for many years? 
Yeah, I think um, we had one of the best coaches. Um, I, I'm very lucky. He taught, he coached me for all those years. I had the same basketball coach for many years. And both of those coaches, um, I owe a lot. I owe a lot to. Um, they teach you a lot. They teach you a lot about life. They teach you a lot about commitment, dedication, working hard. And, you know, they show you the, the, the beauty of sport and being active and, you know, just being disciplined, doing all the things and being a part of a team is super important. And I think, you know, eventually, especially my fastball career, I was able to take a lot of that and put it into like my basketball career. I wasn't a very talented basketball player um, throughout being through my younger years. And then all of a sudden it just, I think like some people it just clicks and then it's like, you're getting offers to go play at colleges and you're like, what just happened here? Like felt like yesterday, I didn't even know how to shoot a free throw. And now I'm being offered to go play at college. So a lot of it, um, my fastball coach, he was amazing. And he taught me all about discipline and hard work and practicing and like, yeah, you can do hard things. He's got to work hard at it. Mm, and were there times through that where you just wanted to like quit and walk away or were you pretty, uh, like hook line and sinker? Like, yeah, I was pretty like hook line. We had a, just a great core of girls and we all got along and it was always super fun and we we were terrible and then we got really good and so then everyone wants to work harder and harder and continue to be better and and be that good and and surprise a lot of the rest of the zones in alberta like we were this little girls team from northern alberta and i mean down south in central alberta they have lots of girls to choose from and up north this is who you got is who you got right so um started to surprise a lot of the rest of the province. And, and then of course we just wanted to continue to get better. So cool. And then, yeah, you said you went for that run around the wet reservoir. I've yeah. been around that. Like that's one of my walks. I go there for that, that little 45 minute walk circuit yeah. to, yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I can totally appreciate and understand the solo part of it because although I love to get out with my family and go for walks and bike rides and get outdoors. I do that. And then I also schedule my solo time to do that because it's like my meditation, my freedom, my like connection and and just, yeah, that time for, for myself. So you got out and you started, you hit the pavement though. First, those were the paved trails. Those were the paved trails. Yeah. And, um, I, I met a friend, I met a friend at the gym, a lady, and we just like hit it off really well. She just had moved to Grand Prairie with her son and her husband. And we just started hanging out all the time and we ran together and kind of like, we were definitely not the same pace. I mean, she was a few years older than me and a little bit slower. So, but it was a thought of like, you're training with somebody. So we would go out and we would do our runs. We're not running together, but we're both out there at the same time. And you know, you wait the 10 minutes until she finishes or the five or whatever it is, depending on how far we were going. So we just started running a lot of road races and we happened to go to Victoria together. And that was my first marathon and her first marathon. And I qualified for Boston and I was like, oh, geez, what's that? Like without even, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't into the running scene. I had just started um and i'm like hmm, that's interesting and i'm like oh wow you got to qualify you got to be kind of quick and then so i didn't go i qualified that year but i didn't go to boston i really wanted to go with with my friend and so then she trained super hard and uh, i sort of like i helped her with that because i have a background in um phys ed and kinesiology so i helped her put a program together and she worked very hard at um getting ready for our next marathon. So two years after that, we both went to the Kelowna marathon. And there was actually three of us that went to Kelowna together. We had done some adventure racing together. So we all went so that we could all like run Boston at the same time. 
and her and I qualified, but our the guy didn't qualify. So the good thing about Kelowna is that marathon's in October and you have to register for Boston in September to run that following April. So we qualified in October, so we weren't eligible to run Boston that April because registration already happened. So we had to wait a whole nother year at, for the following Boston race. And our friend ended up running in August in Edmonton and he qualified. So then we all went to Boston together that following April. And so it was super special because it was two people that I'd spent a lot of time with um, running and doing adventure racing with. So it was, it was a super, and we hit Boston at a, at a wonderful time. It was the year after the bombing and there was a lot of special things that they did. And, and um, it meant a lot to the, t to the town of Boston, to the city of Boston. And you could tell that because it's, it's a very historical race and it was a, an unfortunate event that happened the year before that we were there. Um, but it was wonderful. It was a, a very cool experience. Um, my mom was was able to go the following year. My mom qualified and she went. So I write, you know, if anyone is able to qualify, I highly recommend going. And then that um, that summer before Boston, randomly I was at down down at Walker and Moor, and this guy came in and was looking like frantically for a runner for the death race for Lake Four. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fairly decent road runner at that point in my life. Um, he had to be fairly quick, obviously, to qualify. And so I was like, oh, I don't know. And he kind of and then he convinced me. I was like, okay. Um, I'm almost going down to the death race anyway. So I went with her. And I had no idea. This was like years ago, like bear spray, no. Packs, water, no. Like I had like a little handheld and I'm doing like 40K in the bush up a mountain no like i didn't i had like i think back of how crazy it was how, the state i left like three four transition to what i know now i mean i had nothing i didn't have a toque i didn't have a coat and a bear spray i had a little handheld water bottle <laughs> um anyway i remember i went up and i i ran the whole thing like i i four hours 39 minutes ripped through all of like four and when i was done i remember being done i was like I was leaning up against the hut at the end of leg four and I like slid down and was kind of squatting there and everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm, I'm just done. Like that was unbelievably difficult. I've never had anything that difficult in my life and I felt exhausted. And so I remember going back to the trailer and like showering and crying on the step because I couldn't even comb my hair. I was so tired. And so my one of my friends that I had gone to Boston with, he, he starts combing my hair. I'm sitting on the trailer steps crying because of how difficult this race was. <laughs> and uh, it's late at night, right? Because I was like four. It's later at night. So then we went down to the finish line and I could, had kind of gathered myself and I had eaten and like life was good again, right? Like you always just got to wait a little bit before you commit to doing something else crazy. So anyway, I go down to the finish line. I'm waiting for my team, my team five or my leg five runner. And uh, I was just like blowing away. Like you should have seen these people. They were coming in with like blood dripping off their bodies. They were muddy. They were dirty. They were in like half a t-shirt, a tank top, exhausted, passing out after the over the finish line of running 125 kilometers up three mountains over through a river crossing. And I had said, my mom was there and I had said, I had said to my mom, I want to do that. I want to be that person. Like, look at how amazing that is. They just ran 125 kilometers. And mom's like, no, you're not doing that. I'm like, watch me. And that is why I did it the first year. Um, she said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> watch me. <laughs> it makes me exhausted. Just thinking about it. Like I, I do some hiking too. And my husband and he did one of the a small part of like what the death race would is going to be down in grand cash and him and his friend almost like, I don't know. They're like, this was the hardest, most grueling straight up this little tiny stretch. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, like that is a lot of kilometers and you're not just like strolling through you're running. Cause you have to beat a certain time at every checkpoint. And uh, I, yeah, 
like sometimes it's even better when you go into something or this is what I tell myself sometimes when I do things and sign up for things and I have no idea what it is. Like you didn't have bear spray, you didn't have anything, but you still survived and you still did it. And, uh, and then the next year you did it solo. Yeah. I trained hard that I trained hard with a friend, um, for the whole year. And I, I, I kid you not, I would go out for five, six hour training runs with her and I wouldn't run into a single person. That isn't even possible right now in Grand Prairie. It doesn't matter if I go out at five o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the afternoon, 10 o'clock at night, I will run into another runner. I would run her, me and my friend, we would run five or six hours. We wouldn't see a single person. So it was like, it wasn't popular. It wasn't yet, in my opinion, even like a thing in Grand Prairie. The odd person did it. We did have death racers in Grand Prairie but not to the extent that you see now. So I trained really hard for that year and I got started to get super nervous at the end. And uh, I kept saying to her, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna make that cutoff at the end of like three, it's a super hard cutoff. You only, at that point, the race started at eight o'clock and you only had until seven. So that was years ago. They've, they've changed a little bit of the, the, the rules and the cutoffs now because they've made a few adjustments to the course. but. And um, she said, well, then just go do it, go do it in training. And I'm like, thank God, like, how brilliant are you? Of course, let's go run legs one, two and three and see if I can do it. And uh, so we did and we did it. I was done around like 530. And that's exactly what ended up happening in the race was I finished at the end of leg three at about 530. And um, it was nothing like I had ever, ever experienced. I was tapped out and done at the end of leg three. I did not want to go up like four, my feet were brutal. Um, I just wasn't like, I couldn't believe the state, the state I was in. And so of course my crew, like obviously sent me on my way and I had needed my watch charged up. So I wore a different watch for like four and I finished and I knew I was going to be slow. I mean, four and a half, four hours, 39 minutes, the first time I had done it. And this leg four literally i think took me seven hours to do when i sold it and i seen some horrific things going up like four. like people were sick i seen like people having puking problems pooping problems like i was like holy snap like i didn't want to go anywhere near that right and i wasn't at that stage yet and then it got dark and you just start seeing things and thinking things. I was seeing critters and people and animals and really it was nothing. Um, but then I did run into a guy on the Ambler Loop who was face down in a mud puddle and wasn't moving. I, I, I informed the, the next aid station of what I'd seen. Hopefully they were going to, you know, assist him and help him out. And then at the end of leg four, I get down there and my dad gives me back my watch and and I remember saying to him, I'm like, well, is it charged up? <laughs> my dad's like, well, I wouldn't give it back to you if it wasn't charged up. <laughs> and I was really delirious and I kept thinking, I'm gonna miss this boat. I'm gonna miss the boat. And I had tons of time. Like I had tons and tons of time to get to the boat. Last boat doesn't leave till 5.30. This was probably like midnight we're talking and I'm brutally concerned about missing this boat. And it's only, I don't even know, 14K to the boat from that transition. And uh, I said, like, how are my feet? And everyone's like, oh, they're good. They're great. They look they're amazing. Put your shoes on. Let's go. And so I kept saying, I'm going to miss the boat. And my, my mom was like, well, then get the frig out of here. And like, just boots me on my way. And um, it wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be when I started, like five. Then I started to see crisp or what I thought was like, like I saw lights. I saw like Christmas trees. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm seeing Christmas like, and all of a sudden I run into this woman who has a bloody string of Christmas lights wrapped around her body. And she, <laughs> and she is like not using a headlamp. She's got a roll of Christmas lights. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm not as bad as like, that is actually that's close to Christmas. And uh, so I chatted with her and then I took off. I got on the boat and I felt like decently okay and so that last half a leg five i like i literally ran and i i 
I passed so many people. I, I couldn't believe it. Everyone's like, oh, are you just doing like five? No, I'm actually soloing. But I like I kind of come to and that was kind of like one of the best parts of my race was the last part of the race. And I was able to uh, like finish, you know, high enough, fairly high in the standings for my first um, for my first solo. And then when I crossed that finish line, I could barely walk up the hill to the vehicle. I had 736 blisters on my feet. I don't even know if there might've been more than that. I, I could not eat a single thing that entire race. The, my nutrition plan, my plan went to crap. I had 72 salt tablets and 36 vanilla bean gels in 125 kilometers. And I've never put another gel to my lips and I've never even tasted a vanilla bean since. And so much salt, I couldn't put my flip flops on my feet. And for some reason, I'm like, this is fun. <laughs> I just um, even can't even fathom that after your four hour and 39 minute, like one leg that you ran, I like so exhausted, bawling, not being able to, you know, you needed some food to 125 kilometers. Yeah. Like, how do you keep going when it's probably it would be so easy to just quit, like through all of that, that you just took us through? And I think, you know, growing up in the in sports and having like some significant, like great parents, great coaches, I'm like super headstrong to this day. Um, I always tell people you need to be mentally tough and when the going gets tough it gets tough and you need to mentally be tough you can be as physically fit as you want but in an ultra marathon when things get tough you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and if you're not that's when you're just gonna like give up and quit and um so i find myself like i want to quit all the time like when i'm running long distances there's lots of times I want to give up and people think it's easy. They look at you and they say, well, you're, it's easy for you, but it's not, it's not easy for anybody. You know, we do, we do hill training with a bunch of people. And I always tell everyone in my, in my hill group, I say the person in the lead is struggling just as bad as the person at the back because the person at the back is slow working their butt off, trying to get to the top. The person at the front is fast, wants to be faster, wants to go harder, working just as hard. And so people always, you know, I get all the time, well, it's easy for you. It's not easy. It's not easy for anybody, but I am very mentally strong and mentally tough and I can get myself through and over those, those situations. Um, when my son was just young, he would have been just over a year. I did an 80k at Sinister 7. I split it with a good friend of mine. And it had to have been 37 degrees on the backside of leg three. And I like, I wanted to and I was like nursing, right? Like you got all sorts of things going on, you know, after you're only a post baby, like 12, 18 months, you still got things like going on. And I wanted to quit. And I very easily could have given up in that race. And I just didn't I just I have like this way to like keep going, even though I physically don't want to, but mentally I'm like, you can do this. You can do hard things. Have, has there ever been a time where you have walked away or have you just used that mental toughness to just carry you? Not in a race. I've never, um, I've never, never walked away from a race. Nope. I can, I was close in Boston. I tried, I ended up breaking my, um, uh, my leg, uh, my fibula or tibula, sorry. Um, when I was running the Boston marathon, I ran it a long time ago when timing systems still had mats that you had to like run over top of, right. They chip timed you and they did it every 10 K and at the 10 kilometer mark, I hit one and I kind of hit it funny because at 10 kilometers, you're still bumper to bumper, shoulder to shoulder, toe to toe with, with all the athletes, right? Like you're definitely, there's no spreading out after 10K. You don't get to that point until, you know, 25K, 30K before you kind of have your own space. 
And so we were running along and I hit the mat and I hit it funny and I heard, you know, I heard something. I heard a snap. I heard something. And, uh, but I, like I was saying, I was there the year after the bombing. And so the race course was lined with security and it was basically fenced in for the entire duration of the course. And I was looking for an out and I just never found it. And so I just, I kept going. Um, and I just, I just finished. I definitely at that point, I probably would have, if I could have found a way to get out and to like tell race people, race, the race organizers, like I'm DNFing, I'm done. I would have, but I did that opportunity never came. And then I just finished because I knew, I knew something was wrong and I didn't want to like make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sure enough, I went to like the Boston hospital and I had like an MRI done and I had it like boot casted, um, there, uh, so I could fly home. And then at home I was in it, I think it was eight weeks. I think I got it off in July, maybe June, but it was, it was, it was at least eight weeks. I, that I had to let it heal for. So that would have been the only time, but I still like, I, I made it through. I was looking <laughs> for an out. I just didn't find it, but yeah. I've never left a trail race. Like I've just always, I've always kept on going. I mean, I was close in golden seven months after I had Cooper. I ran for three days in golden BC on day three. Um, he decided he, Cooper decided he wasn't going to sleep on the night before. And so I was up basically on and off the whole night. And on day three, I had like zero desire to run like none. And, um, but yeah, I just, just got out there and somehow, you know, you find a way. And, and so I did. So no, yeah, I've never, never quit in any race I've been in. Wow. I have two, two things that are coming to mind. One is what is the feeling like when you finish that race that you've put so much um, training and time and attention to. And se- the second one is, are you thinking about anything or is it just finishing the race? Cause that's a lot of hours just to be solo in your own thoughts in your mind. Is it just like, get to the end, keep going one foot. Or are you actually like thinking about different things? So I think, um, it kind of, it depends on the race. So if it's like a super long race, I think for me, I'm always, yeah, I'm always making sure like, okay, checking the time. I check the distance lots, like how, how much till I get to the next transition, but like time, like, are you eating? Are you drinking? You're trying to like, you know, do all that. You can't really calculate a lot in your head while you're running, to be honest. Like (laughs) it doesn't usually work. Um, but for the most part, I think I'm just like, yeah, I just think about when is the next time I'm eating and drinking and kind of excited to get to the transition to like see like family and friends. Um, you're always excited when it's over. Even in training runs, you always feel the best when it's over. You're excited, you've accomplished it. Um, and not every training run is, is, is perfect. Not every training run is yours. Not every race is yours. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. And when you run long distance runs, everything has to line up. The stars have to align. The weather has to be on par. If you don't like running in the heat and you get a day, your 80K is on a day when it's 35 degrees, then you know what? It's not, it's not your day. You can still go out and do it, um, but it's just not going to be your best day. And that's okay. Um, you got to train. You got to train hard. You got to follow a training program. But like I said, at the end of the day, if the stars are, aren't all aligned on race day, then you tried your best. You did your best. And when you get to the finish line, that's all you can ask for. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um, and that's so true with every little tiny detail for a hundred kilometers in the same shoes through different weather, through different conditions. And there's so much that goes on within our body. And like you said, your kind of superpower strength, your your mindset, depending where you're on or what's going on in your, your life at the time. Like there's so many things that come into play that you can just show up at the start line and, uh, plan to get to the finish. But yeah, some days are yours. Some races are yours and some days, you know, there's somebody else. That's right. hundred percent. So, and what was the difference from you from, you know, you started road running 
and then you got into the trails. Are you like sticking to the trails from now on or are you drawn back to the road? Like how did that kind of transition? I'll probably never race another uh, road race um, for a very long time, if ever. I do still train on the pavement, um, especially after having my son for the simple fact that I leave from my house, he goes in the buggy and off we go um, for time, managing time. Um, we don't have trails out my front door. We have, we have paved trails, but we don't have like the bush, but I do prefer to go into the trails and always on weekends, I will make a solid effort to, you know, drive down the road and, and hit up a trail. Or if it's a super long run, just run from my house to the trails. But I do, I do run, I do train a little bit on pavement, especially in the winter. Um, but in the summer, I tend to stick to the trails and I'm a hundred percent about trail races now. Like I said, I don't think I'll ever in the near future run a pavement race. Okay. Are there any that you have like on the docket that are coming up that you're training towards now? I'm doing the 80K uh, solo at Sinister this year. So that's um, a relatively new portion of the Sinister 7. In previous years, it's always been a 100 miler or share the seven legs as a relay team. Uh, but not new this year, not new this year, but new in the last couple of years, they've put in this 80K solo component as well as a 50K solo component. So I'm doing the 80K and then I'm doing the Trans-Selkirks in September and that's a five-day stage race um, throughout five days. So those are the two that I have planned out for now. If something happens for a death race, I may or may not do something at the death race. I did do the near-death marathon last year. I ran that one and it was good. It was hot. It was my, it was my race. And like, that was a good day for me. It was hot. I ran with a friend who had never ran a trail marathon before. And we had trained together quite a bit. And I said, Hey, do you want to partner in the race? She said, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. So uh, I got a bib last minute and uh, yeah, we ran it together and we did exceptionally well. I did a little bit better than she did because I'm older than her. I'm in the master class. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she doesn't hit master for a couple of years. So I, so we both did fabulous. I can't, I, I won the masters, but I mean, she did great too. I think she was like eight or ninth and they only have two in at the death race. They only separate you in two age groups. So you're like, 19 to 39 or you're in this master group and I was in the masters so you can be a little slower in that age group <laughs> so we ran in like six hours so it was great it was a great day um it was it was definitely a day where I was feeling it and like I said all the stars lined up for me I'm not sure I could you know run it in six hours again um because you know everything's got to be perfect on race day and that particular day it was it was perfect for me for my conditions I like heat I like it warm. There was no wind. Um, yeah, it was great for me. It wasn't great for everybody, but like I said, it's, it's how you handle, handle the race day and the conditions that you want. If it was like hailing and raining and pouring rain, the storyline would have been a lot different for me, but it would have been better for other people. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, so I'm the opposite of you and my sister-in-law, we went out Matt Robson and, um, so I still bug her about this. I'm like, I swear you're trying to like kill me off. And my husband and my son went up to Kinney Lake, the seven K and I was told my, my sister-in-law should come with you. No, even though she, maybe she doesn't love running, but she is so strong in her mind. She's she, I thought we were going up to emperor falls. Perfect. We'll go up and then we'll come back down. And she told someone that she worked with that she was going to see the glacier. And my husband who had like walked, hiked it. He's like, no, you can't do that in a day and come down. And she was so stubborn. She's like, no, I'm going to. So me having no idea about this plan, I'm like, yeah, let's go. We ended up going up like the 20 K and then back 10. So the 30 K just, you know, hiking up the mountain and it <laughs> rained the whole entire time. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I just learned this about myself. Thank God it was <laughs> raining the whole time because if it was sunny out and the sun was beating down on us for like this, how many, I'd, I think I'd have to be flown out. Like, I don't know how people do this in the heat. 
So yeah, we made it and we both needed a knee replacement. Mine one way and hers the other way, hobbling down the mountain the next day. I'm like, oh my gosh, like obviously, yeah, I need a little more training for this. Yes. It's a long distance. Yes. Long distance for us. Just, yeah. I thought I was going on like a little day hike, a little hike, but yeah, little did I know (laughs) she told her friend and we did take a picture of the glacier at the top so she could show her friend. Yeah. And the picture is the important part. Yeah. The picture, we got the picture. So we're, we're all good. So (laughs) you, you said too, that you get out and you throw your, your son in the buggy and you just go. But I know, as I said in the intro, you're really about getting families together, getting outside and making it work because we all want to get outside and be active and move our bodies. So how do you make that happen for, for you and your family? And how do you encourage other people to get out and kind of make it a family thing? Um, so I knew when I, uh, when I found out I was expecting, I knew that, um, that that had to be part of my life. I had to, I know how much my mental health relies on physical activity, sweating, sunshine, and being outside. And so I'm all about the hand-me-downs. I'm all about people giving me clothes, hand-me-down clothes, hand-me-down toys, all the things. And, but right from the beginning, I said, I'm going to spend good money on an amazing running stroller, biking stroller, because this is important to me. And I have to be able to do it. And I have to be able to do it efficiently. And I have to be able to do it multiple times a week. And so I just made it right from when he was an infant. I made it made it a thing. I made it part of our life. I made it part of our everyday. If I wasn't running, we were walking. And he got used to the stroller. And it just became, this is part of our life. And he's six years old now. And I pushed him the other day for six kilometers. And yes, he's big. And yes, he's heavy. And does he really fit? No. And would he rather be doing something else? Yes. But he still goes in there and it's a chance for him to like not be crazy, not be running around and just to sit, enjoy being outside, breathe in some fresh air and let me do, you know, half an hour of exercise. And he loves being outside. He, he comes hiking. He's more than capable of walking up Mount Ambler. He did Mount, he did flood mountain last year. He's been up all the peaks. He's been up Hamill like five times. He was, only four months old when he took his first trip up Mount Hamill. Um, And so, and like, he's, he's been skating since he was two, he could ride a two wheelers. He's been on a two wheeler for like four years. So he's also like not contained to a stroller. And I don't, I've ran thousands of kilometers with him, but I also tell people, I always made it about him as well. I always stopped my watch one kilometer from home and let him walk home let him push the buggy and he's not confined to this thing. We've done other things with him. I take him biking. We bike to grandma's. We, we do all the other things where he also gets to move, but I also need him the last six years to be able to sit in a stroller and be able to enjoy it and play with some toys and have his own time for what, whether it be 5k or 20k. And so that's how I just started. I just started to like, make it part of his routine just like having a bath just like having supper this was just part of our day and i was lucky enough to be able to take an 18 month mat leave so i spent 18 months at home with him and then i mean he was only in daycare for a year and then i spent another 18 months with him at home because of covid and and so yeah i just i really made it part of our part of our day and when i formed the triple train trail truckers um seven full years ago, we're entering our eighth year already. Um, It was important to me to one, include everybody. So whether it was like runners, walkers, ultra marathoners, it was important to me to include everybody. And as the group grew, we started to see a larger population of walkers joining our group, which is great because we include everybody. And then as more people joined you realize the importance of people having kids like um there was families there was people with kids people with small children 
And obviously like two years after um, I formed the group, I had a son. And so I always tried to, it was important to me to not just make run group and races just for us, for the adults. It was important to do other things, to do family things. So, you know, I've done Easter eggs. I've done stuff at Easter. Our group is lucky enough that we you we are able to volunteer at different um, places around Grand Prairie, specifically Evergreen Park. They're an amazing. They've been amazing to us. They allow us to host races and events there, and they ask us for help. You know, for different for different um, events that they host throughout the winter, and then they give you a mon monumentary value. And we use like those types of monies to put on events for our families and our kids. So every Easter now, we do an event at Cluskin Hills. People register, I buy like all the things and we go up and down Cluskin Hills and they go to different stations and they like find things. They find eggs and bubbles and skipping ropes and chalk and, and that kind of thing. So it's a lot of work, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. And then we have a barbecue afterwards and have hot dogs. This year we had a hundred people um come out to it and that was me capping it like i can't obviously we can't take everybody like we we took 40 kids or 50 kids i can't remember what the total was but 40 or 50 kids and i mean that's a lot of kids to manage and they're all different ages and they have to like follow instructions and stay together and i make sure that every kid gets to the one station before another before we move on to the next station and um but they get active they're outside they have to walk a kilometer and a half to go to all the little places then there's a park to play on while we're having hot dogs and so i just yeah i just saw like a, there was an importance there was so many people with kids their kids are also giving up or not giving up but they're supporting them like kids are coming to races are coming to trans transitions and they're supporting their parents, their grandmas, their aunts, their uncles, their moms and dads. So it was just kind of a way to be like, let's involve the kids. Like, let's do something for the kids. Because, you know, my son's been coming to races and doing his thing in transition for years. And I just think it's like, it's important. It's important for your kids to see you struggle and, and realize that, you know, it's like, it's difficult. This is hard. They learn from it. I mean, Cooper's biggest thing is like, he loves race food. He loves rooting through everyone's coolers, but like that's him young, you know, now he's starting to like, he understands how difficult this is. And so they see you in like places that I think like it's okay to see mom struggling in a race or mom having fun in a race or mom, you know, finishing a race. Like those are, those are awesome things. And they also get the experience of being with other runners, healthy people, people that are outside, good role models. They meet other runners, kids. Um, it's wonderful. And so I have a very special team that helps me with my group. Uh, my parents are amazing. Uh, they've been along for the ride since the truckers were formed. And I also have three other amazing friends and teammates that have like helped me do what we have done over the years so i mean it's definitely not just me um so then they get to like they get to meet and like be friends and these friends become your family all these awesome people so we just you know we've just realized that it's important to do to involve your involve your kids and encourage other people like i make training plans for people and and i say like you gotta utilize your kids you have to you have to bring them like if you have a 60 minute movement day, put them in the sled, pull them in the sled, um, walk with them, hike with them, like use them, be with them. Like they can then be part of your training. And yes, it's also important that you do some of it on your own because we all need that time by ourselves. And I have no issue hiring a babysitter so that I can go for a two hour run. And no one is gonna ever make me feel guilty for it because other people hire babysitters to go out for dinner, to go out with friends. People hire babysitters for whatever. And I have no problems hiring a babysitter so I can go for a two hour run. And I don't think any mom or dad should feel guilty for that. There's also you know, a time and place for that as well. But I think that you can make it a good balance and um, involve your kids. Yeah like just amen to that. Absolutely. 
that I think you just gave so many people listening in maybe permission to take that time for themselves and use it how they wish to use it instead of, like you said, maybe meeting up with friends or going to a movie or for dinner to actually take that time to get outside. And I totally, totally, totally relate to you about, you know, my son was, I think six or seven, he's eight now. And people looked at me, oh my gosh, the funniest story. This woman was like, oh, did you have another child? Oh, you have another little baby. I'm like, oh no, no, no. That's like my seven-year-old still in Bobby, our staller, Bobby, who went up to Mount Robson and Glacier Lake and everything. It's like, no. So I can get out and get my movement in. My son, who's like kind of touching the ground with his feet and Bobby, no, we finally, Bobby's retired, but it was like to get out of the house and for me just to go. And I'd have, we had the, the bike trailer and everything. It's like, absolutely. How good is that for them to see you a taking care of yourself? They can get outside kids ride in, in, in planes and in cars for like six hours, eight hours that, yeah, they can sit and enjoy the outdoors and get outside. And same thing as you, it's like, there were days that it was like, no, it's mom's turn. I'm going you're in the buggy. And then there was other times where it's like, okay, like, let's look at the bugs. Let's splash in the puddles. Let's do those things. But it's like, you can have both and you don't have to do like, you know, all all in on one. So yeah, I just love how you bring that up. Yeah. A hundred percent. Super important. Yeah. So you created this group. So can you tell us a little bit about it first? how were you inspired to create the group? And like I said, it grew, it was like 10 to 15 people to like a hundred more people now. So when well, did you the group create itself it? probably has a couple thousand people in it. Um, what inspired me to do it was just like, I had really gotten into this trail running. And like I had said, I would, I literally would run for five or six hours and be me and my friend and would see another single soul. And so I kind of like, gathered a couple people that were like dabbling in trail running and we just started running together on a Thursday night just to like find new trails. We started at Evergreen. Like I said, Evergreen Park's been amazing to me and I can't thank them enough. Um, We started running out at Evergreen and found a few trails. And then we, um, I started a Facebook page, group page, Triple Train Trail Trekkers. And it just like one thing led to another. I just started getting tons of people following the page tons of people wanting to um, join join the group. And um, so then we just started having like Thursday night run groups. And I put registration out there and you know, you'd get like 30 or 40 people. And that was awesome. I'd run it three times a year. I'd run a, I'd run a session in the fall, um, a session in the winter, and then a session in the spring. And then we take the summers off because people are gone and leaders are gone and stuff. And um, soon after, um, they just started getting like wildly out of control. Like I would open registration and then there'd be 80 people signed up and I'm like, whoa. So I had to start capping it and, and giving people like a week's notice, Hey, registration is going to start on this day because I can't physically take everybody on one single night. Like I don't have, there's not, we don't actually have the capacity to do that and make sure that everyone is safe and fall, you know, like everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing or, or just like making it so that it's like, I, I know everyone's name. Like right now we're in run group and there's, we have two run groups. We have Tuesday night and Thursday night. So Tuesday night is almost finishing up. It's strictly Hills at Magoo's three sessions left, but Thursday, tomorrow, we start up our eight week Thursday group. So that those are full, like those are totally capped out. And on Tuesday nights, I can tell you everyone's name. So to make it like a little bit more personable, I wanted to keep it at like 80, 90 people. People tell me all the time, just open it up, let everybody in. It, more the merrier, which I agree with to an extent, but not to the way that I want to do it because I still want to be able to do fun things. I like hiding things in the bush. I like doing a pumpkin run. I like, we. I give out swag every time. So like you got to order tank tops or sweatshirts or t-shirts or buffs or bags or so it's just it's a lot of work and you got to be able to manage it and it's really it's myself and like I said I have three amazing people that help out. Um, and so that's how it started is we just started to like advertise we're doing these Thursday groups and it just kind of grew and grew and grew 
and just to, and I, I'm, I think I make it fun. I think it's fun. And if you make things fun, it's not like it's, it's not as hard, but I like to give away prizes. And like I said, at Halloween, I like to hide pumpkins in the bush and everyone has to find a pumpkin, um, Easter eggs, like just different things to like add a little bit of like spice to it. Last night it was super hot, cold drinks afterwards, just like fun little things like that. And when you only have like 70, 80, 90 people, it's manageable, but if you're going to take everybody and have 200, it's just, it becomes unmanageable and not as personal. And then COVID hit and um, COVID was really good to us. As sad as that sounds, it was really good because we, we had to think outside the box. COVID hit in March and in May, we, we announced the Gatorade 19 challenge. People had to run 119 people had to run 91 kilometers or 191 kilometers in the month. I went live every day. I made it fun. No one was doing anything. They were all out walking and running. We had 400 people registered. And like I said, we had to think outside the box. That's where it all started. And in COVID, we ran virtual challenges like every other month. And that was the year that we donated over $20,000 back into the community because we ran all these challenges and every month we had one in May, we had one in December, we had January, we had February, we had March, we had April, and every single challenge, we donate back to the community. So we'd pick a different organization. And up and until that point, we were only donating to the community every time we offered a race. Well, we can't offer races that much, they're too much work. So we would, we would do like two or three races a year, three, three main races a year we would do and the proceeds always went back into the community you know we paid for everything and then anything that was left over we picked a charity and we would donate so to date uh we're nearly fifty thousand dollars since we started donating back to local communities or local charities in our community and it's fabulous our we always say we we move someone else benefits and that's kind of been ever since covid that's kind of been our motto is that that's what we do we move and someone else benefits. I can't even tell you the amount of organizations we have donated to. We struggle now to find new ones to donate to that we haven't donated to in the past. We have a meet in the middle coming up on May 28th, and that's a 50k solo, uh, a 5 a 5k or a 10k or a 10 hour solo or a 10 hour relay. But it works out to 50k. They run 5.07 kilometers every hour on the hour for 10 consecutive hours. That money raised at that race goes to free little pantry, the, the free little pantry. Didn't even know that was a thing because I've, we've donated to so many different organizations that we've started to ask people for new ideas. So someone said the free little pantry. I went, what in the heck is that? Well, it's this organization at the library who buys like hygiene items, food, basically anything. And it's a pantry and it's on the shelf and anyone's allowed to come in and take whatever they need, whenever they need, but it's all, it's, it's a not-for-profit. So they obviously need funds in order to stock the pantry. And so that's where our money's going um, for this, for our meet in the middle on that's happening on May 28th. Um, so the run group is exploded from where I started with 15 regular people on a Thursday night and just going out for fun to doing all of these events that we do every year and races and then three main like organized run groups a year and it's fabulous it's a lot of work but it's fabulous it's really very rewarding and um i think people love it and my team loves loves putting it on and um yeah so that's kind of how it started and then escalated (laughs) wow like I am just like speechless I there's just so many things in that it just is so incredible that you can move your body and help and it benefits other people and invite like you said how many years ago you'd run for how many hours and not see a soul and now you you can't do that which is amazing that there's so many more people jumping in and you're creating a community, uh, by having those capped, you know, capped, capped, uh, programs so that you can know everybody's name so that it can be more 
connected. So I just love how that you're offering that in our community and then helping back all of these different groups that you're finding. Like, how cool is that to find out about all of these um, charities in town because you have so much to give back. So I just think it's like unbelievable all the things that you're doing. And in in all of it, it's like you get to take care of your, it's today is May 3rd, hats on for mental health. So it's like you get to take care of your own mental health through your movement, your physical health, your spiritual health, all like you get to take care of you. And I can't even imagine some of the feedback that you've got from the people who are in this community with you. Yeah, it is very rewarding. And I mean, the comments are are never too far in between. I mean, our group does some amazing work. I mean, I remember in December, we had a challenge in December. Even I went to Hawaii with my with my team. My team and I went to Hawaii in um, end of February, beginning of March. And we ran a challenge while we were gone. We were... Uh, um, the girls get away. So we, yeah, we did. We made sure everyone back home was like running and doing their thing. And we did live videos from our like condo in Hawaii. It was amazing. Um, but back to December, I remember in December, we had a challenge that we were doing um, throughout the month of December. And uh, Trekkers Outdoor is one of the owners, is one of my teammates. And uh, she um they have the store now so we you know we utilize it and stuff so i had said one of the challenges in our in our challenge so the challenge always involves running or walking obviously but there's always other challenges on how you can win prizes and one was you know you have until december 15th you have the week of december 9th to 15th to drop off food at trekkers for the food bank it's christmas we're gonna donate food to the food bank and if you do you know your name goes into the draw for a hundred dollar gift card to to trekkers and I remember going down there and needing two vehicles, two trucks to drive all the food down to the food bank. And the lady at the food bank was blown away that this is what this mini little like run group, run walk group did in like five days. And it's just like, that's how they operate. That's how they are. This is who they are. We did a shoe drive for Avondale school. One of our challenges during, or yeah, one of our virtual challenges during COVID um, was a shoe challenge. And it, we gave everyone a shoe and you had to color it in. They all had numbers on it. And the number represented the kilometers that you had to go. So, you know, the shoe would have 40 little squares on it and it would have a five for 5K, it'd have a one for 1K and you had to color it in as you go. And you had to, at the end, by the end of the month, you had to have your shoe done. You had to have your shoe complete. But we also asked for shoes and people that donate money to buy shoes. So we went to Avondale school one day and, you know, a school of lower income families in our community and we had wagons and wagons of brand new shoes. And it was just like amazing to see like the principal couldn't thank us enough. The following month we did a challenge and we ended up getting all these bicycles, brand new bicycles that went to like kids at Hillside school, another school with low income families. Um, so yeah, it is, I never complain about it. I never call it work. Um, you know, I, I, I always say like, I, it's not my job. It isn't my job. This is my passion. This is what I love. Um, you'll always see me cheering people on. I'm a cheerleader. Um, if I'm not running in my, in, in the race, I'm cheering everybody else on. So it's not work. People think it's work, but it's not, it's, it's a passion. It's something that we truly care about. And most importantly, it's like benefiting so many people in so many ways first off it's the people that come out every week week after week that are trying to get healthier fitter train for races get in shape for races and then while that happens other people in our community are benefiting with the proceeds that we the monies that we donate to them yeah unbelievable unbelievable like it's just all amazing work that you do so where can everybody find you, follow you, find out how they can um, find out about uh, registration, when it's going out, if they're interested in joining the community and uh, getting involved. Yeah. So I'm really terrible at social media. <laughs> <laughs> I have one social media account. It's called the Triple Train Trail Trekker. So 
you can't miss us. It's a lot of teas. Um, I tried in Instagram, but I'm still not anywhere near good enough to start um, utilizing Instagram. But that's the only thing that I've ever used. So I have one Facebook page called the Triple Train Trail Checkers. Everything goes on there. Um, you can see all the fun that we have goes on there. That's where all the registration goes. We're having um, a Mother's Day run on Mother's Day. It's 10 bucks uh, from Trekkers Outdoor. It's a 2K, 5K, 10K. Kids are welcome. We have the 2K option. And everyone's getting carnations, chocolate-covered chocolate strawberries afterwards, prizes. It's a really fun time. Last year was amazing. The weather sucked, but everything else was awesome. And then um, May 28th, we're having meet in the middle at the Wapiti Nordic Center. So all of those registrations are all like located on our on our page. And yeah, it's easy, easy to find and scroll through. And that's that's the only way we get information out. Okay. And word well, of mouth. Okay. Word of mouth. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll obviously put um the link in the show notes there where people can come and check out all the fun and uh maybe sign up for one of the next events that you have on or one of the next the next uh programs that you're putting on. So Thank you so much for sharing your passion with me. I I just think it's um, just incredible what you're doing. I love the lifestyle that you live. It just feels like so aligned with just, uh, I don't know what, what it is, you know, movement and outdoors and connection and family and getting people together. Just, it seems like uh, it kind of just hits all of it in, in um, simplicity, like really simple but really connected, connected ways all around. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just sharing your story with, uh, with me and my audience around the world. Well, thank you so much, Candace. This has been awesome. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of all things relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.